Hi, and welcome to the Overflow Podcast. I'm Chuck Ammons, teaching pastor at Overflow Church in Brandon, Florida, and we are here to help you receive the Father's love and to release it to everyone you encounter everywhere. Wherever you're listening from today, your God adores you. I pray this message elevates and ignites your faith. On this podcast, you will find biblical messages to activate your faith, as well as our You Asked For It series, where we address your questions about trusting God's goodness as Father and living out His fullness as beloved sons and daughters. To find out more about Overflow Church, visit us at myoverflowchurch.com or on Facebook at Overflow Church Brandon. We'd also love to encourage you to check out our book, Life in the Overflow, and its accompanying devotional at Amazon.com. We doing all right? We started a brand new message series last week that we were so excited to begin all about stepping into wholeness that God has for us. And we thought, really, as we just celebrated four years together as a church, we're going to celebrate our birthday at the end of this month. But Overflow Church is four years old now. And so as part of that, we thought it would be a really good opportunity for us as a church to really meet and hear the heart of all of our pastors. And so I'm joined up here today with my buddy, Pastor Chris Thomas, our worship and family pastor at Overflow Church. And a lot of you may not know this, but Pastor Chris was actually my first youth pastor. So when I got in church in my senior year of high school, it was Pastor Chris's uh, youth ministry that I joined. Pastor Chris is the reason that I went into ministry. Pastor Chris is the reason I got my first ministry job. They said, do you have any references? And he walked through the door and he said, I've come to vouch for this young man. And they said, we've never seen that in our life. If you have a living reference, we'll hire you on the spot. I got to tell you, if you're around Pastor Chris, you're going to laugh a lot, and you're also going to see that a spirit of religion can't stay anywhere in the room. So one of the things that most got set free, I was kind of an uptight young Christian, so if you think I'm uptight now, you should have seen me 20-something years ago. And I can remember where I was that I would even believe if you, if you ate food before you prayed that like that food wasn't blessed. I just lived under a lot of fear, and so some pastors would come and humbly and gently point you to the scriptures, uh, Pastor Chris once again decided to be a living demonstration. So every time we'd go out to eat, he'd take me out to McDonald's, and I would say, we have to pray, and he'd go, oh, yes, okay, and he'd take one fry and look right at me and eat it, (laughs) smile, and say, Jesus, thank you, amen, and wouldn't close his eyes or anything. (laughs) And so after I'd watched for a few minutes and saw he didn't die, I realized maybe God wasn't as uptight as he thought, but... Chris and I have had quite a journey together. He, is, he has walked as my buddy, my best friend, best man in my wedding. I was not in his wedding because I wasn't alive yet. Um, I'm just kidding. I would never say that to Julie. I would never say that. In the last 20 years as we've served in ministry together, we've had the opportunity. We wrote a musical together that we got to take on the road. We've written a lot of dramas together. We've been in two bands together, including Presently Valley's Inn with our precious sister, Ruth. We showed up on a jumbotron at Raymond James Stadium in Leotards as part of the YMCA Nationals gymnastics. So um, we've had a whole lot of journeys Let's just leave it at that, though. We don't have to. So, Pastor Chris, I would love if you would take an opportunity to share your role at Overflow Church, what it is you do, how long you've been here. Cool. I just want to say, before I say anything about my role, i got to say, you know, Pastor Chuck saying I'm the reason for all these things. Uh, I would say that he's the reason for the gray hair, but I don't, I don't, that I have, I had all black hair when I first you, met you, you so well, I don't know, but you put two and two together, I don't know. Okay. You do the, you do the math, um, but I, I, it's been cool to see someone who was a 16-year-old kid come into his anointing as a shepherd and an apostle and a teacher in this place, and so I submit to you and follow you as my lead pastor, and thank God for you. Um, so can we thank God for our pastor? All right, cool. All right, so, so Pastor Chuck, as I was, I was thinking about it, I was thinking you said something about role. Yes, right. your role at Overflow yeah. Church. Yeah, so like here's my role right here. <laughs> Did it make it through? Did it make it through? Yeah. Yeah, destructively hitting several things on its way. That's your role. <laughs> That's my role. That's how I roll right there. Yeah. 
Oh, I'm supposed to say yes, something. Yes, okay. you are. All right, so... Um, How long have you been at Overflow Church? I've been here 24 years this month. Wow. 24 years this month. Yes. Um, a lot of changes happened, and uh, this, is, uh, this is amazing. 24 years. Uh, my role, though. You want to get back to the role That'd be part? Great. Okay. Um, I'm sorry that I distracted you. Yeah, sorry. Um, I, I consider my role much like that role that just happened. Um, I, like to, I like to roll into situations with a bright and cheerful attitude and then um, to, see things, to see things roll, man. You know what I'm saying? Um, <laughs> I like to bring happiness and joy. So my, um, my chief role here at Overflow is as a shepherd, as a pastor. I walk in the five-fold gifting of a pastor, and so everything I see is with that lens. Um, so really everything that I do here is under that pastoral role. Um, partly in worship, I see my role in the worship ministry as pastoral. Um, I see that as shepherding um, us through those moments of glory. Um, and I work with our creative arts pastor, Pastor Ruth, who is really the heart um, of the worship ministry. So she leads the prophetic voice of where we're going. She says where we're going. And it was so awesome when she joined the team, um, the Lord said, do what Pastor Ruth says to do. And I was like, okay, I've been doing this a long time. Um, and he said, whatever she wants to do, don't say no, just support it. So if she wants a choir, there's going to be a choir. If she wants this, it's going to happen. Because the Lord's saying, setting her up as that voice of the prophetic voice of where the worship ministry is going. And I was to shepherd, help her shepherd those moments through where the Lord is going. So it's a beautiful partnership between the prophetic and the pastoral. And I really believe that, that the worship ministry is pastoral, but it's, it's prophetic in nature. And so we follow that. So working with Pastor Ruth is amazing. Um, for that, and then also for the shepherding, the pastoral role of the church, of leading people through from the first time they come as a guest to when they're plugged into a missional community, they're using their fivefold gifting, and then also the care throughout that. So if there's a hospital uh, concern or there's there's a need in the body that needs prayer, um, I coordinate that. So I work with Pastor um, Brenda. Pastor Brenda, I see you, and Pastor Lynn to, uh, to shepherd that process from the time that somebody comes to the grounds of overflow to the time they're plugged in, and a lot of it is plugging people into the right missional community where they can grow and learn, and then we, we've just set up uh, shepherds. We've, we've set up a shepherd in each missional community. I'm so pumped and excited about that because in each missional community, there's going to be a shepherd that's going to guard the shepherding atmosphere and the pastoral atmosphere of that group. And working together with that team and equipping them, giving them what they need to be that pastoral voice in their, in their um, missional community. So that's exciting to see people grow and learn in a safe place. And so that's kind of what I see myself as. I want, that, I want to be the shepherd that guides you through those, those years and that this is a safe place for you to grow and to thrive. And to me, success would be you are functioning in your fivefold role, that you don't see yourself as somebody that's just along for the ride, but someone that's gifted and someone that is giving to those atmospheres. Um, and then also drama just uh, awakened in me again. And so you saw that a little bit at Christmas time, but the Lord has so much in my brains again um, to work with Janelle on um, the drama ministry and reviving that. So um, yeah. lots of different places, but I really see like every, even that is the pastoral. I see that through that lens. That's amazing. So, I don't know if that's what and you so wanted. That is exactly. Okay. So as you come, Pastor Chris's role would be stewarding that we would be a family together. So Pastor Chris, Pastor Brenda, Pastor Lynn, they all have a very strong pastoral anointing. Now, in America, we use the, the word pastor for everything, but actually, biblically, there's a grace that is a pastoral grace, which is helping us to walk together as the family of God. And so that's where Pastor Chris, Pastor Chris is the lead over that. So as I serve as the lead pastor of our church, Chris is my family pastor. Chris is the one helping my family plug in at our church and fully find our place. So if you've been coming and you're like, I love Overflow Church, but I don't know the next step. How do I get connected? This is your guy right here. I'm sorry. You're in for a life-changing journey. <laughs> Pastor Chris, can you, before we're done, um, can you just share, it's the beginning of 2023. We've been going in this fast, and it's all about expectancy. It's all about what we're um, expecting God to do in our presence. And I believe that when we agree with God, things change on earth. So as our worship and family pastor, 
What are you expectant for in 2023 that we can come into agreement with? I, I really feel like through the, and the fast is going to be a catalyst for this, but I really feel like this is going to be a season where what I just described will happen. In other words, that, that you will see who you are, that you will no longer see in any place where you've seen yourself as an orphan or somebody that's been disqualified or somebody that, that you feel like, oh, well, I had my chance and now that's gone, or I had this dream and then it's died. I've had this, this passion in my heart, but it's just kind of waned and it's not there anymore. I feel like in this season, God's going to begin to awaken dreams again He's going to refresh people, and he's going to finally lift that shame off of you, and any kind of hindrance is going to stop you from thriving. I really feel like this is going to be a season of you thriving in your giftedness and enjoying it, being yourself and not trying to be something that you're not, but being comfortable with who you are because God didn't make anybody else like you, and I'm glad, all right? <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad nobody, God didn't make anybody like me, but I really feel like in, in the fast, Something we can realize is we're not going to compare ourselves to others. We're not going to try to be something we're not. Let's just be who we are and do that powerfully because that's enough. Um, anyway, so that's what I feel like the Lord's saying. So your family pastor says he believes that God is saying this is a season of you being secure in your calling, mm -hmm. of you coming into a place of confidence, and you thriving. Can you receive that from your family pastor this morning? So, Lord, we agree with that. And now can you extend your hands toward him right now? Because I believe blessing is the language of heaven. And as he constantly, and I want you to know, Overflow, this man is constantly blessing you. You have no idea the sacrifices he makes. What you're seeing here on the platform is the tip of the iceberg. And so, Father, it is our joy to bless. First of all, Lord, I want to bless the longevity. As Pastor Chris has come and said yes, 24 years in this place that he said yes. In an age where we're hearing that many people in the ministry, that their, their love is growing cold or they're, they're getting to the place where they, they get weary in doing good, and he has not. And I thank you, Father, that as he enters this time, that he's more fervent and more alive and more confident. The word that he gave is what I see in his life. He is secure, and he is confident, and he is thriving. And so we, Overflow Church, bless our family pastor, Pastor Chris. We bless Julie and his family. We ask that every dream in his heart that you would do more than his ability to ask or even imagine. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we thank the Lord for our family pastor, Pastor Chris? <laughs> Beloved ones, with promises like these, and because of our deepest respect, and worship of God, we must remove everything from our lives that contaminates body and spirit and continue to complete the development of holiness within us. Beloved ones with promises like these. I love this because the Apostle Paul is in the midst of writing a letter to the church of Corinth. And for the previous six chapters, he's written no less than 16 promises that he said, if you are in Christ, this is true today. And that's framing his entire conversation for holiness. He says with promises like these, what? That we are lavished with grace and peace, that we are comforted in our suffering, so that we can comfort those who are suffering. That we don't rely on ourselves, that's good, amen? amen? But that we rely on God who raises the dead. I want to say to somebody right now, you feel like you've got a dead dream, well praise God, you serve a God who raises the dead. So you say, I've got this thing that's a dead dream, but my God raises the dead. And with promises like these, something changes. He continues, he says, Promises like these, we already received God's yes. He's just waiting for our amen. Can I tell you something? Did you know God's actually more passionate about his plan for your life than you are? Somebody that's going to be an awakening because we run all over the place thinking we're trying to convince God. I'm going to behave enough so that God will bless me. But he's the one that created you and put the dream in you in the first place. He wants it much more. And in fact, in heaven, he's already given his yes. All he's waiting for is your amen. Your so be it, Lord. What are his promises? We are established in Christ and anointed by the Holy Spirit. We are led in triumphal procession as the aroma of Christ. We have been made sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. Somebody needs to lay your hand on your heart and say, in Christ, I'm sufficient. 
I'm sufficient today. I don't need to run and become anything else. What are our promises? We have unveiled faces that behold the glory of the Lord. We are a treasure in a jar of clay that is fragile but carrying heaven. Some of us need to change our bumper stickers on the back of the car. (laughs) Fragile, I'm carrying heaven. Be careful. Don't rear-end me. We are being prepared for a weight of glory beyond all ability to compare. We are known by God and we are compelled by the love of Christ. We are free to stop seeing us and others through old, dead lenses. Come on. We need that today. We're a new creation and ambassadors of reconciliation. We have become the righteousness of God. We are able to receive and release all of these fruits of our salvation today, for today is the day of salvation. And so we are now and forevermore his sons and his daughters, and he is our father. So with promises like these, there are two things that we're supposed to do. Because all of that is already true today. Do you get that? The truth is actually, no, we don't. And that's beautiful. That promises like these, I mean, you look at this list. Do we wake up every morning going, yeah, I got all that. I understand all that. But he says, nonetheless, whether you know it or not, it's already true. But you will live like who you believe you are. So when you see you have promises like these, there are two and only two actions that we can do. What do we do? One, we get rid of everything that contaminates We clean house. We look for anything that would stand in the way of what heaven has already declared that you are in Christ. And anything that doesn't agree with that report, we go, it's time to clean house. And number two, we take the next step in a long road called the development of holiness. It's a journey that we walk on together. I want to share with you at the start of this year what our prayer has been for Overflow Church, for our city. This is our prayer right now. We yearn to see every man, woman, and child know they are held in God's adoring love, grow to be whole as who he created them to be, and go alongside their brothers and sisters to bring Brandon, the Bay, and beyond home to the Father's heart. That's what we're asking for, that we as a people would be held and whole And see God's sons and his daughters come home. And so this is the main thought of this series, holiness, that we've started together. It's this, that us being holy, that word holy means to be set apart for a life from God. Us being holy only comes as the byproduct of us being whole. Us being returned to the design that God desired for us, that holiness is the fruit of wholeness. This matters because a lot of times what happens is we think we can manufacture our holiness. We come up with our reading plans and our prayer plans and our stop doing this and our cursing jars and everything that we're going to do to say, I'm going to turn it around, I'm going to change it, and I'm going to get on the treadmill. And this year, I'm going to be holy, but that's not the way it works. You see, holiness only comes as a byproduct of wholeness. And when instead we would say, no, I'm weak but in my weakness, he's strong. My dreams are dead, but I serve a God who raises the dead. I'm going to come in this place and say, right now there are things in me that are broken. There are places I do not see things as they should be. But if instead I would lean in and say, hey, today I can do two things. Every place I see something that I have been believing for years or that my family line has been believing for years that doesn't align with the king of heaven, I can find how to clean house and how to get rid of what contaminates. And in the same motion as I'm letting this go, I can take the next step toward what? My wholeness. And if I take a step toward my wholeness with him, the byproduct all on its own is something called holiness. And so when we use this word holiness with the W-H, holiness, this is what we're saying. Holiness is the intentional and continual posturing of our hearts to be made whole by Jesus, which results in holy living, results in us being free, results in character and integrity, and results in holy calling our mission. It's a wholeness that bears the fruit called holiness. So with that, this is what I want to do today. Today, I want to silence a myth. I want to silence a myth that wholeness and holiness is a treadmill of duties and disciplines and responsibilities that we strive to achieve. 
And in fact, what I want to see is, no, on the contrary, us stepping into wholeness is actually us choosing to release control and surrender to be honest about what our heart is actually hungering for. And when we do, I'm going to tell you, and you're going to see it today, the minute you get honest about what you're actually hungering for, you can stop feeding yourself on the substitutes and you can be free to have your house filled by the God who adores you. We're going to share today three lies that we believe about being holy that need to fall. We're going to step into Luke chapter 19 with a man named Zacchaeus who is brought face to face with the hunger of his heart. And we're going to see how when you and I choose to surrender what contaminates and take the next step on the road, we experience wholeness. Does that sound good? All right. So this is the big idea for today. Holiness is the universal human hunger. Holiness is the universal human hunger. We all desire every creed, every tribe, every tongue, every nation. We just want to be whole. And we just want to be holy. Lie number one that we believe is this. Lie number one, I need to do things to be more spiritual. Anybody believe that one before? I need to do things so that I can be more spiritual. I would say, in fact, a lot of American Christianity is based on this lie. Here's the truth. I am a spirit housed in a body. I can't possibly be more spiritual than already being a spirit. When God made us body, soul, and spirit, it says that he breathed his breath into our lungs. When he talks about eternal life, what he's talking about is our spirit. He says, your body, by the way, this is how we identify here on this earth, right? I'm a male, I'm white, right? We go through all these, I'm funny looking, right? Those are the things we identify by here on earth. But you know, the truth is he said, no, this is temporary. This is a tent. This isn't the true Chuck. This is just what he gets housed in for a little while, right? I'm gonna get a housing upgrade. Why? Because I'm a spirit that is living in a body. And so I want you to hear this about holiness. The Apostle Paul, in Ephesians chapter 1, he says this, God chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. So here we go. I want to break this lie that you need to do more so that you can be more spiritual. What did you do before the creation of the world? (laughs) I'm just wondering. What was your part? Before the creation of the world, what were you doing? Because it says it was precisely here that that's when God chose for you to be set apart, literally chose for you to be holy and blameless. And by the way, just so you know, a little study on Ephesians 1 that would help a whole lot of people, he's referring to us, he's referring to as the human race. We get mixed up in this picture of predestination. God predestined some and he got rid of others. No, this is what he's saying. That sin, the cost of sin kills us. So when we sinned, it should have killed all of us. But the lamb was slain, when? From the foundation of the world. Somewhere before space and time, God chose not to give up on the human race. And he said, what I'm choosing right now, before creation begins, is for you to be holy. So listen to me. Holiness is not achieved by the effort of some elite, but it is only and always a gift. And it is a gift of the Father's heart for all of his kids that we receive when we agree with him. And the more we agree, the more we watch it grows. So somebody right now, hand on your heart, you need to say this. I'm already spiritual. spiritual. That's awesome. Three of you agree with that. A hand on your heart, I want you to say, I'm already spiritual. I already have all it takes takes. for life and godliness. And And this matters because, listen, I get calls on the regular from people to say, hey, Pastor Chuck, I'm going through this, and I just need to know, can you pray for me? Because if you pray for me, then I really believe like God's going to listen because I know that God really likes you and and God hears you. And and so can you pray for me? You want to tell, tell you what that lie is? That lie is, see, I still need to do more things to be spiritual, and I haven't done all the things that you've done yet. So since you ran faster on the treadmill by my own site, which, by the way, I am running faster than nobody. You should watch me run. It's a funny-looking thing. <laughs> Comparison is the thief of joy. But you think from your perspective, because you see me up on a platform, that I'm running faster than you. And so you say, therefore, you're more spiritual. So if you talk to God, God's going to listen more. But here's the deal. That's not the way it works, because before the foundation of the earth, Christ already died for you and for me to give us a gift 
called holiness. And the only thing to do, you can never strive to achieve it. You can only release control and say, okay, God, I'm going to stop trying to be the own, my own savior, my own story. And I choose to allow holiness to come. Why? Because I'm already spiritual. I am a spirit. So you need to know you already have the DNA within you. There's no more powerful prayer. And by the way, when you reach out, Pastor Chuck, can you pray with me? Yes, because there's a power in agreement. But did you know that my prayer is not more powerful than your prayer for your life? Somebody write it down. It's true because we don't believe it. We want the rock star pastor to come in and pray the prayer. And then, man, he's got a, a higher anointing, but nobody could possibly have a higher anointing for your life than you talking to your father. So lie number one, you are already spiritual. Lie number two. I don't hunger for the things of God enough. Now, this is a little cousin of lie number one. I don't hunger for the things of God enough. Here's the truth. My spiritual DNA was made to be filled by the bread of life and living water. I yearn for him and nothing else will ever satisfy. Listen to me. This lie has the tiniest shred of truth in it. When we show up and say, I don't hunger for the things of God enough, because listen, if we're being honest, None of us are anywhere close to feasting on the fullness of everything God offers. Amen? Amen. I just put 16 promises from six little chapters of the Bible, and all of us, if we were being honest, would go, yeah, I'm not feasting on the fullness of all of those. I'm not even sure right now intellectually I agree with some of those because we get wounded and we get hurt. So listen, no, the truth is none of us are feasting on the fullness of what God offers. All of us consume thoughts and mindsets and pursuits that are the spiritual equivalent of junk food. And they're not satisfying our souls. Amen? Amen? Okay. But this lie would have you believe this. This lie would have you believe that there are some people of a higher and more holy caliber. That there's a purer breed or higher class of human that you're not. So that some people, they've just been created in a better factory than you. And so they're further down the line. And, and it's a lie because we were all only designed for him. And he gave himself for all. Listen to the words of Jesus. John chapter 6. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Did you hear that word, whoever? See, it's all about surrender, not about getting on a treadmill. It's all about surrender to say, I'm hungry, I'm thirsty, and I've given up believing that I could ever feed myself. He says, whoever comes to me will be fed Whoever comes to me will have their thirst satisfied. But did you know the opposite is true? Somebody needs to take John 6, 35 today and flip it. Because here's what it is. In whatever area of your life you won't come to him, you are hungry and thirsty and unsatisfied. In whatever area of your life you're still saying, hey, it's a partnership, me and God, 50-50. I'm halfway resting in my Bible reading plan and my morality, and what I'm doing, and then halfway in the promises of God. Then you're not coming to him, and to whatever extent you're not coming to him, you are hungry, and you are thirsty, and you are unsatisfied. It's when we come and say, God, no matter what I do, I love you, and I'm weak, but you ask for faith like a child, not faith like an expert. I'm coming like a child. I'm messy. I mess things up. I break them. But Jesus, I just want you. And I've given up that I could possibly ever feed myself. He says, you're now a whoever that can come to me and be filled. Lie number three. I just desire the things of the world more than I desire God. Now, you see, we've gone full circle progression. Not spiritual enough. I hunger too much, right? And then it's, I, I just desire those more. So, no, I'm, I'm going with you, Pastor Chuck. I do desire the things of God, but I just desire the things of the world more. And, and here's the deal. We'll show up and we'll say, no, but you don't get it. Here's the deal. I work too much. Or if you only knew the relationship that I have with food. If you only knew the things that I'm looking at when nobody else is looking. If you only knew the, the substances that I wrestle with. And man, they have a grip on my life. And it's like when life gets hard, the promises of God don't seem to hold the same. And so I got to run to the bottle because that feels like it's more tangible in this moment. And the lie is I believe that I hunger more for that than I hunger for God. Here's the truth. Listen to me. Every addiction is merely a father hunger trapped in a cycle of insanity, seeking a substance to provide what only my source can. I need to say that again because that will break some stuff. And somebody needs to know your addiction lost 2,000 years ago. It just doesn't know it yet. Okay? Somebody needs to know that today. But the truth is, whatever that addiction is, 
Whatever that thing is you're saying, I, I think about this thing or I do this thing, whether it's approval or whether it's a substance, every addiction is merely a father hunger that is trapped in a cycle of insanity. What's that? Doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. Yeah. That is seeking a substance to provide what only my source can. But did you ever notice with Jesus, when Jesus met people that the world branded sinners, he never approached them the way the religious people did. And he never approached them the way the religious people expected. For a Samaritan woman that had been exiled in the dark, Jesus went in the middle of the day to offer her living water. To a woman caught in the act of adultery, he knelt on the ground to write a message of mercy as he forgave her. For a woman crippled for 18 years, sent as second rate to the back corner of the temple, he brought her front and center and called her a daughter of Abraham as he healed her. To tax collectors and sinners, he did not stand outside their places of business with a turn or burn poster on the corner with a megaphone. He entered their home as their friends. He's the friend of sinners. And here's the deal. The religious leaders and all those struggling both thought they knew what their issue was until Jesus came to town to reveal whatever the substance of your struggle is not your true issue. He always looks past our behavior to hearts that are simply homesick and he is home. Romans chapter 8 says that all of creation is groaning for what? for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed, for orphanhood to end. But did you know, listen, those groans can look like angst and addiction and chasing approval and crippling anxiety. And the enemy of our souls wants to hyper-focus us on our issue. And so we wake up and we curse ourselves in the mirror saying this, you're materialistic or you're addicted to pornography, or you overindulge on food, or you live in fear, or depression, or anger, or he tries to cloak us in shame of our issues so we will self-isolate and self-medicate. He wants you to make everything about your issue, about your substance, so you would forget your source. But listen to me. Every addiction is just a father hunger trapped in a cycle of insanity, cloaked in shame, so you would put your attention on your substance and not your source, because only your source can set you free. Hear me right now. Shame is merely a game to get you to forget your name. Shame is a game to get you to forget your name. So what does he do? He wants to come and convince you you're not spiritual enough. You don't hunger for God enough. Something's broken in your hunger. You hunger for that substance more than God. So you'd wear that thing around like a scarlet letter or better that you'd hide it from the rest of the world, which only adds more shame as your efforts to self-medicate fail over and over and over again. But I want to promise you this. The issue is not that you're not spiritual enough and it's not that you don't hunger for him. You are starving and thirsting to be known and seen and held by your God and nothing else will ever satisfy. So listen to me this morning. For us and for everybody outside these doors, Jesus is not nearly as obsessed with your brand of wrestling as he is the brands that were driven through his wrists to end the game of shame off of your life so you would get back your name. That's the truth. That you would get your name back. What is it, beloved son, beloved daughter? The truth is this, you want him and he adores you. And neither one of those things are ever going to change. See, when we see that, we can get off a treadmill of trying to become holy. And we can finally get honest about becoming whole. When we see this, all that is left to do is to stop hiding in the shadows, to stop coming up with another reform plan, but to join the rest of humanity and just get honest about the false things we are feeding on as we get a view of Jesus coming down the road just as he did for a man named Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19. I want to look at his story for just a minute. This is in Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 1. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was wealthy. 
He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see him over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. And when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he is gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save that which was lost. Now maybe if you grew up around Sunday school, you've heard the story of Zacchaeus before, right? Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. No, listen, Zacchaeus was a bad dude, all right? Zacchaeus was not a wee little man. He may have been short in stature, but not in his indiscretions. It says that Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector and was wealthy. Now listen, in Jesus' day for a Jewish person to be a tax collector was the absolute worst because it meant you were a sellout. You were a traitor to your own people. See, Rome had come in to the land of the Jews to rule with their foreign gods and their foreign system. And they ruled over the people by taxing them strictly. And one of the things they did, because Rome didn't want to live among the Jews, they found certain Jewish people to serve as tax collectors. And those tax collectors, any who would agree to it, were known for using the empire to take advantage of their countrymen under the laws of Rome. So they would come in and they found, I got the cushion of Rome, I got the protection of Rome, and they would extort far beyond what Rome even asked. And meanwhile, Rome applauded it because all of it ripped apart the Jews and it kept them under the thumb of Rome. And it says, so again, if you're a tax collector, it means that you're getting rich by living as a traitor among your people. And Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector. He was the leader of the scumbags. And here's what I love. In the middle of the passage, it says that this man, this bad dude, when he heard Jesus was coming to town, it said, Zacchaeus wanted to see who Jesus was. Why? Because holiness is the universal human hunger. We're longing for wholeness. We're longing to be held whole and home. And Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus, but he was a short dude. And so this man who was known for all of his stature and all of his reputation, he did something funny. He went undignified and acted like a kid running up and climbing in a tree, not caring in that moment what anybody else thought. And it says, when Jesus reached the spot where Zacchaeus was, he stopped and said, I must come in your house. Listen, that's a prophetic word for somebody today. You need to know that's where Jesus is on the road in your city right now. But he's standing outside the place where you go, I've done all these things and I've sought these things and I've acted in ways and if only they knew. But somewhere deep down, I really just want to see Jesus. And he's passing by saying, hey, I've got to come in your house. And this is what I love. There's no more of the story than this. I love the truth of the Bible. Notice Jesus didn't say, turn or burn, fly or fry. It was none of that. (laughs) This is what he said. You ready? He said, Zacchaeus, I see you and I know your name. And though everybody else has written you off, of everybody here, i got to come in your house today. That's all he said. And immediately it says that Zacchaeus, in that moment, responded. But did you notice before Zacchaeus could say anything, the people had a response of their own, didn't they? They scoffed and they said, religious leaders, look at Jesus, that fool. He doesn't even know he's calling us. Look, he thinks he's a prophet, he hears from God. He picked the worst sinner. What a moron. Jesus, the the people said he's unworthy. Can I tell you something? There's a key identifier of toxic religion in your life. And it's anywhere you have moved from connection with God to commentary about everyone else's worthiness and unworthiness. You want to know if you're making friends with toxic religion. If more is coming out of your mouth that does not sound like, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner, but, oh, look at what they did, and look at what they did, and look at what they did. Oh, they think they're going to come into church that way? They think they're going to act that way? Just understand what you're doing, just like the Pharisees is scoffing and saying, oh, look, God's coming close to a sinner. It's toxic religion. 
But notice Zacchaeus' response, undeterred. He didn't get caught in the drama in that moment with one look at Jesus and nothing more. He said, listen, here it is, Jesus. Half of my wealth, I'm giving it to the poor right now. And this is a wealthy dude. And he said, and beyond that, if there's anybody, he's shouting to the crowd, if there's anybody here I've wronged, and he's wronged all of them. Every last one. He's the chief tax collector. I ripped you off. I ripped you off. It's like Oprah. Ripped you off, and I ripped you off, and I ripped you off, and I ripped you off. And he looks out, and he says, if I have taken advantage of any of you, right now I commit, I will pay back four times the amount. And here's the deal. You go, was that just a plea? No, he's standing before his creator. Jesus is standing right there hearing every word that's going on. What happened in this moment where Zacchaeus' whole life had been about chasing wealth and now he's suddenly just giving it all away? Why? Because he finally realized that what his heart had been chasing all of his life was standing before him and so he cashed out. Somebody get it. He got in that moment and he said, I've been chasing this substance. I've been living under the labels, but now I got one look at you and I know you're all I've ever wanted. I don't need my riches anymore. I don't need what the people think of me anymore. I just need to do the, the right thing and get rid of the stuff that's contaminating my house so that I can take a step closer to you because I've just got to be with you. Why? Because holiness is the universal human hunger. That's what the gospel does. And did you notice Jesus's response? He said, today, salvation, the word literally means healing, peace, rescue, and wholeness, has come into his house. Can I ask a question this morning? Who needs salvation to come in your house, right? Who needs salvation and wholeness to come in your house because Jesus is standing on your street and my street and he's stopped and he's calling you out of the crowd and he's saying, listen, I know your name, not what you call yourself and not what everybody else calls you. I know your name and I've got to come in your house today because I see that you're starving for me. And I know this, when I get close enough for you to get one glimpse at the real me, all that other junk you've been chasing will lose its hold. You won't need to run on treadmills anymore. You won't need to obsess about the brand of your sin or your struggles. There's just one question left. Who's ready to let Jesus come in the house? This morning, I want us to respond in in two calls. I see us doing what the apostle said. The Apostle Paul said we've got to get rid of what contaminates. We've got to take the next step in the development of our holiness. And so I see our two calls this morning as laying down and taking up. So this is what I'd like to ask. I want to make this time very practical. Before I ask you to stand, and I will in just a minute, I'm going to ask you to take out your phone. And last week when we went through this time of fasting, I asked you to write down in your phone what it was you were fasting. If you've got a note there that you've started that, I want you to just continue that note. For some of you, you're hearing it this morning, you're hearing about the fast, and we're going to point to you how you can join us. But I just want to encourage you, however you do on your phone, I want you to open up a note where you can take some notes right now between you and God, because I just want to ask a few questions. In fact, guys, we can go ahead and and pull the the, um, ministry music up. That'd be awesome. The first thing I want us to look at is laying down what we need to lay down. I want to look at getting honest about where we've been filling our hearts with something that contaminates. And so I have three questions I want you to write on your phone. The first one is this, what lies am I believing? What lies am I believing? Maybe you walked in today and you believe that lie, I'm not spiritual enough. That substance, that's my issue. I hunger too much for that thing. Would you take just a minute and write down, this is a lie about myself I'm believing right now. This is a place I curse myself in the mirror and often we curse ourselves without ever using words. What lies... Am I believing? I want to give you just a minute right there. As you go, there's a second question I want to ask. What substances am I seeking? 
What substances am I seeking? So question number one, what lies am I, am I believing? Where am I putting a scarlet letter on myself that my creator did not? Question two, what substances am I seeking? And listen, for somebody, it's going to be an obvious one. You're going to say, I'm seeking pornography. I'm overindulging in alcohol or food or entertainment. For another, maybe you'd be at the place where you'd say, no, for me, it's acceptance or success or image. Maybe it's a crippling fear of failure. I'm just wound up every day because I've got to do everything right. Maybe it's the belief that once I get this, fill in the blank, I'll be happy. It's a substance that you could find yourself chasing. And I want to tell you, substances in their proper place can be tremendous blessings, but they make terrible gods. What lies am I believing? What substances am I seeking? And now listen, this third question, this third question is the transformative one. Don't stop on question two. Question three is this, what is it I really want? What is it I really want? Do I want security? I feel unsafe. And so I keep doing things to protect me because I keep thinking people are going to reject me. I want worth because I felt unseen. I didn't have mom or dad in my life believe in and talk about the value in me. And so I keep doing all these things. I keep chasing needing to get the car and needing to get the job and needing to get the promotion and needing to get the compliments. But what I'm really wanting is to know I'm worthy. Maybe you write what I'm really wanting is love. What I'm really wanting is hope. What I'm really wanting is to be pursued. For somebody today, something's going to change. Because you walked in believing your issue was a substance, and that veil is going to fall. And you will see it for what it is. See, all this is just, it's just some spiritual junk food that's never going to feed the true hunger of my heart which is to be wanted and seen and loved by him. While you're seated there, I want to help you take this second step and then we're going to stand and respond. But I said the first thing we were going to do was all about laying down those three questions. What lies am I believing? What substances am I seeking? And what am I actually wanting? But then we take up. Maybe you come in this morning, you say, hey, my house is clean, but now I find myself on the long road of faith that has to be walked out, and I need to take the next step in the development of my holiness. So to you, I'd say we're in the midst of a church-wide fast. I want to encourage you to join us. In this first week that we've walked this fast, I've never seen a fast like this, y'all. I've been hearing testimonies every single day from the youngest to the oldest in our church. We're watching whole families fast together and missional communities fast together. I'm hearing testimony about people fasting sweets and food and social media and YouTube. I'm hearing about people choosing to take their lunch break at work to go for a walk with Jesus. And already they're saying something's refreshing, something's different because I've tried before to give up, but right now I'm not fasting, I'm feasting. I'm stepping to a place where I'm actually just going after the hunger of my heart for wholeness. This fast that we're going in, our fast is not one of striving or starving, but one of surrendering to Jesus as our source, our strength, and our substance. We come to him as our source to say, I'm secure in you before you made me. You called me to be holy. Lord, in you, I am held. We come to him as our strength. Seeing that we're not set free, we don't become holy by our striving or our effort and our weakness. He is strong and our God makes us whole. And he, not that thing we're chasing, is truly our substance. 
that we can say, Lord, you are all I want. The truth is, there are places that I'm just homesick and you are home. So my question here in taking the next step is how can you be intentional in your fast? Some of you, maybe if you got your notes still open and you haven't chosen to fast yet, I want to encourage you. We've got an amazing resource under print resources on our website called A Guide to Fasting that my buddy Josh Baylog put together. He gives 15 tips about what you can fast and how it can work. But maybe you've already made the decision and said, this is what I'm fasting. So here's my question. To take the next step, how can we be even more intentional? So some of that means like this. These are the testimonies I'm hearing from you guys. For some, it's moving past the idea of saying, I'm fasting sweets, which is just, I like desserts, and I don't get desserts for 40 days, to feasting on the sweetness of God. That you come and say, if I'm going to fast sweets, then every time I want ice cream, I'm going to stop in that moment, and for just a minute, thank God for something about the sweetness of truly knowing Him. That's an intentional fast. You move from a spending fast into deliberate gratitude of how you've sold it all to follow Jesus. So the next time you have to go, oh man, it'd be cool to get that thing, but you stop and you go, oh, that thing's never going to satisfy, but can I just stop right now and say, Jesus, you've already won my heart. I'm already enough in you. I already got it all. It changes your heart. That's an intentional fast. For somebody, it moves from fasting entertainment to finding how you can feast on the God who alone will feed you with the fullness of joy. Maybe you turn off watching the shows and say, you know what? I'm going to read a chapter of my Bible a day. And I got to tell you, if you do that with a heart that is seeking wholeness, he will meet you there. It won't be dead or dry ever again. Or maybe you were called to fast social media. And what God's saying during this time is, yeah, I called you to fast social media, not because of the noise or the drama, but because you seek your approval there. So instead, every time you want to pick up your phone and open up that app, you'll stop for a minute and go, Lord, would you remind me of the promises again of how you are my acceptance? we got a powerful 50-day devotional, Life in the Overflow devotional you can get on Amazon that is 50 days of what Jesus says you are now in him to know your identity and to hear the voice of your father. What is he calling you to fast? And how can you be intentional this week? Okay, with that, we've thought about it. We've gotten a picture. We've started to respond. Now I want to activate it. I'm going to ask if you can, if you would stand with me. With every eye closed, I'm going to invite our ministers up right now. The first question I asked is, what is it time for you to lay down? I hope all or most of us had something God showed us to write in our phone to say, here's a lie I'm believing, here's a substance I'm seeking, but God, here's really what I want. So I want to give an activation right now. The first one's for all, and it's some more for some. For all right now, I'm going to ask that you would lay your hand on your heart and declare with me, that you would just say quietly before the Lord, Jesus, only you will satisfy this heart. Only you will satisfy the cravings of my heart. I'm so sorry for everything else I've sought. Only you will satisfy my heart. Jesus, like Zacchaeus, let me see you come out from the shadows on my road that I could get one look at your face because only you will satisfy the desires of my heart. So with your hand on your heart, would you say, come satisfy the desires of my heart? Now for some of you, here's what, the way that looks from here. Today is the day that it is time to stop self-isolating and self-medicating. That you've been running under shame and God says it's time to let somebody that you trust into your story. Maybe there's somebody here in this room that you came with that you trust. Maybe it's one of these ministers up here, but you need to come out from the shadows. You need to step out from your seat, walk to that person quietly with no one else listening and saying, here's where I'm wrestling. And I've been carrying this thing like a scarlet letter and I'm coming right now out of the shadows because I'm not going to self-isolate anymore. If that's you, I'm going to ask you to move right now. We've got ministers all up front. If it's somebody you came with, I'm going to ask you to lean over to them right now in their ear and just tell them, this is what God is doing in my heart, in my life. 
One of the mistakes that we've made is an individualistic culture, is we make all the promises of God just about me. And then a lot of times what happens is when we try to get free, we do it all based on me. And the enemy of our souls knows if he can isolate us, then he can wear us down. And wherever we're blind, he can just pound on us. For somebody, it is time to stop self-isolating. Would you come? Would you move? Even now, if that's you, would you step to one of these ministers? For somebody right now, you need help. You need ministry. You need hope. You need restoration. And maybe you know you didn't get there overnight. You're not expecting to get out of there overnight. But you feel lost in the middle of the woods and you need Jesus to come and take your hand and walk with you as you conquer those woods a step at a time back to freedom. Would you come to one of these ministers now? I've been seeking a substance and I don't want to seek it anymore. You're like Zacchaeus. I'm ready to sell it. What comes next? Would you step out from your seat? Father, would you release boldness in this room? All we want is you. All we want is you. I say shame off of you in Jesus' name. What is God calling you to lay down? Please don't go alone. The second, where is he calling you to take the next step in your development of holiness? Maybe God told you right now someplace you're supposed to fast. Would you right now, you wrote it down in your phone, but would you quietly just tell God, this is what I'm going to fast. Maybe you already made the agreement. Say it again to him. Lord, this is what I'm fasting. This is why I'm fasting. This is what I want. This is what I'm seeking. Once again, I want to encourage you, don't do it in isolation. Look to a friend you came with, somebody in your missional community. Share with somebody this morning, this is where I'm walking and what I'm seeking, and give them a minute, even now in your seat. Would you do that? This is what I'm doing. This is what I'm asking the Lord for, and let them come into agreement with you. I want to stay here for just a minute. And I want to encourage you this morning. Listen, if you're here and you're good, man, I'm my beloved's. He is mine. Would you start to just intercede for your friends right now? Would you start to just ask the Lord to move? Father, would every lie fall? Would every lie we have believed fall away from us now in Jesus' name? May every substance that we've sought that has lifted itself to this God-like uh, image and place in our lives, may it topple over right now. I see, Father, the, the Old Testament gods they would set up in the temples that were lifeless, and they were lifted as these great monuments, but I'm seeing them topple over, and I'm seeing them fall. I'm asking right now, Father, that there would be complete wisdom that we would know how to free our house for you to come in. And for each person right now, where I want us to end today is just in receiving collectively an anointing together. I'm going to ask from wherever you are, if you just lift up your hands into a place of receiving. And we're just going to agree with this prayer together. You tell him, Father, I want you. Tell him in your words, Father, I want you. I don't want to be cynical. I don't want to be jaded. I don't want to be exhausted. I don't want to be worried. I want to be whole in you. I want to be held by you. I want to be home before you. So, Father, here I am. I don't have any answers. I just climbed up the tree to see you because I feel too short to even get there on my own. But I saw just a glimpse of you, and Father, I'm saying, here I am. I'll let you come into my house. Would you tell him that right now? I'll let you come into my house. Father, I ask for every person right now that there would be a release 
of an anointing upon our lives that your voice would be louder than anything that would try to assault or come against us. I'm asking right now that it would be like you're standing on the road in front of us saying, I got to come in your house. Right now, would you bridge all the distance of every wayward second? Would you fill us with hope, with rest, with peace, with joy? I speak to your heart, you don't need to run anymore. It's a long journey that we take a step at a time. Somebody this morning, rest. Father, come be bigger than anything. I ask for anointing as we walk through this fast that together we would see a wholeness that results in holiness.